and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name is Dan Martin, special effects artist and podcaster, and I am joined, as ever, by my lovely co-host... Sam Ashurst. I'm a writer, I'm a director, and I'm here to talk about Dan's choice for this fortnight. Uh, it's a film that hopefully most people listening to this will have already have seen, but if you haven't, what a delight. Uh, it is Child's Play. Now, Dan... You really very passionately wanted to do this movie and I can understand one angle you might have because the practical effects are next level insane and I'm sure we'll get to talking about that in the episode. But what are some of the other reasons you love this film so much? It was just, I think it was quite a a formative movie for me. I saw it quite early in my like horror film life. I, you know, I was shielded from films en masse quite a bit when I was young and I saw the first film without really knowing very much about it I was really pleasantly surprised by it mm. like even now going back and revisiting it so it's surprisingly brutal it really um, is in some places yeah like there's it's got a sort of a, an aggression to it that like you know like all these horror franchises they sort of they morph and change as the as the story goes on and what maybe the the makers originally intended um to be uh like where the film was going to go isn't what ends up happening i mean we all know you know think about halloween 3 think Mm. about the fact that pinhead wasn't meant to be called pinheads like all that stuff you Mm -hmm. know and freddie suddenly becoming a a quip man (laughs) yeah um and i think there is a sort of there's a trajectory for a lot of these things that is similar across the franchises but child's play the first child's play just as a standalone movie has got such a fantastic sort of eerie horror element to it yeah um and it's kind of urban in a way that a lot of the others aren't as well right yeah yeah um i just yeah i just i really like it like there's not really that much i don't like about the first child's play film yeah i completely agree with that the urban element is really interesting because it's like a working class horror film where yeah, yeah. You've, you've got this struggling single mother and you've got Andy's adventures in the bad side of town and obviously Chucky himself. The way he talks is very like, it's almost like a 50s gangster or something in some places. Um, and in others, it's like a very modern 80s um, franchise monster, but right from the get-go. This franchise does evolve, but I'd say it's more of a natural evolution in the Child's Play franchise than others where the first movie is so completely different to everything that comes after it, seemingly like almost like it's jumping around in time. Whereas we do get to see Chucky's evolution as a character, and it does kind of make sense across the whole franchise. It's it, you know leaving out maybe part three as a kind of an, an anomaly. Everything else feels pretty fluid. I haven't gone back to part three yet, and I intend to. Yeah, in this box set. I don't remember three being as much of an outlier. Like I, like I loved four um, yeah. when it first came out, and I think yeah. I saw four possibly before I saw three because of the whole you know thing in the UK about part three. It's part five that felt like the first one that was like, oh okay, we're doing a new thing now. <laughs> like four is much more fun comedy, yeah. but it kind of worked really well, and that felt like a very natural progression of 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 the character of Chucky but it was the tonal shift between four and five that that made me feel like what well and we'll talk about two yeah let's let's time. pause this because <laughs> I've got a lot to say about this in part two and yes precious arrowheads we're doing child's play this time will be 
doing part two next time. But yeah, let's let's just stay focused on, on child's play. Like what makes this so special for me is that combination of literally magical practical effects. Like they are so believable, like across pretty much the whole film. Even like the slightly janky moments feel right because it's a doll. It, he feels alive and obviously a, a huge part of that is Brad DeRiff's deranged performance that really breathes genuine life into both Chucky and Mancini's script. It's a once-in-a-lifetime character, and I'm so glad that DeRiff and his daughter Fiona have stuck with the franchise. You know, that's another absolutely integral part of why this evolution feels right to me and why this character feels more consistent than almost any other big horror um, franchise villain, even Freddy. But yeah... Brad DeRiff, we've got to talk about him. Um, how do you feel about that performance? Yeah, he's amazing. I mean, like, I remember when I was at university and, and Lord of the Rings was kind of happening and DeRiff was obviously playing Wormtongue in those films. And so suddenly he was a, he was a name that some of the more extreme Lord of the Rings fans knew. Mm. And they were people who weren't the people who knew Brad DeRiff's name before. Because, like, for me, up until this point, Brad DeRiff was One Flew the Cuckoo's Nest, Child's Play mm. and Body Parts, yeah, and he'd done loads of other stuff, but those were the those were the titles that I associated it with. And he's and he's amazing as Wormtongue, obviously. He's a great actor, but he's he's so inexorably linked with Chucky, in the same way that um, Doug Bradley is with Pinhead. Yeah, that when they said, "Oh, someone else is going to be voicing the doll in the remake," because um, obviously there's been all these sequels, but there's also been a sort of parallel reboot. Yeah, and and. I was just like, well, but it's not going to work. It's not, it's not Brad Dourif. What are you doing? The same way when they first said, oh, we're going to be doing a Hellraiser film without... Um... Like, it's one thing to not have Pinhead in a Hellraiser film, and I think, actually, that's kind of fine. We're just talking about franchises now. Um, <laughs> because, you know, he's the Hell Priest, but he was never meant to be the focal character. Right. Uh, and it's just what the fans wanted. But if, if that's what the fans want, then don't replace him. <laughs> Don't get someone else to play him. Yeah. Yeah, you couldn't have anyone else play Chucky than Duriff. But then, like, the extras are brimming with people talking about how it almost wasn't Duriff doing the voice. Right. Duriff was going to play Charles Lee Ray. And then they, they tried loads of different voices for Chucky before they settled on Duriff. That is absolutely crazy to me. And, yeah, I'd throw Robert England as Freddy into the mix there as well, because obviously that yeah, absolutely. reboot just just didn't work really didn't work because freddie wasn't like intimidating makeup, or scary yeah. or funny you know you did mention body parts that's a bit of a spoiler alert for my recommendations so i'm not i'm not going to talk about that just yet but you're right this really unique tone here i think it really is only this this installment that has this kind of tone i mean the others have really dark oh, moments yeah, absolutely. but there is like a seriousness here um, that could have gone so wrong. Like you treat this concept, um, you get the balance wrong with this concept and, and it all falls apart. But another big part of why it works is um, Alex Vincent's performance as Andy. And yeah. I think you and I both saw this from, from what you're saying quite young. And I wasn't a million yeah, miles away from Andy's age when I saw this. Um, and yeah still into action figures and all that kind of stuff so um i think i would have smelt bullshit if uh if the performance hadn't have been as fantastic as it is and still stands up when i watch it today 
really amazing child performance. Yeah, he's really good. He's really good in it. And, and it, you know, again, brought back for the series. And it's it's nice that there's still so much love for these things. That's like, you know, getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. But it's one of the things I like so much about the extras is that. Right. It, it never feels like people are just being like rolled out to be like, oh, yeah, fuck, I'll talk about this again. Like there's some genuine like enjoyment and reminiscing about it. Yeah, t- tell me about um, your experience of the extras. What were some um, standouts for you on this one? So I'd, I'd seen it before. It's an archival extra, but the but the absolute standout for me was the special effects making of, um, yeah. which I've only ever seen in like crappy quality on YouTube before. So Kevin Yeager, the effects designer on this, is joined by a ho- whole host of other effects artists who didn't work on it, talking about what a big deal it was. So you've got like, got Savini there um, you've got the guys from Amalgamated Dynamics like there's loads and loads of heavy hitters who've done really impressive stuff whether it's you know trailblazing in the world of gore like Savini at the beginning of his career or whether it's like creature performance and uh, and animatronics like the ADI guys like a lot of people talking about this stuff very very fondly and looking at the path of it like it's in, it's crazy to think about what a big deal this this puppet was and every film they at least for the first like three they were completely reinventing the wheel as far as like puppetry and mechanical puppetry went really impressive stuff kevin talks on the commentary talks about how they were like when they were starting because they didn't have a huge amount of money when they were starting up they were like frantically disassembling like teddy ruxpin dolls and stuff to like look at how they worked look at how the mouths moved but also to look at how i mean you say even when it's janky it kind of works because he's meant to be a doll they were literally looking at they were they were sort of reverse engineering the market testing that these companies would have done to find what is acceptable for a child as far as movement facial movement from a doll because right. it's so easy for those things to become creepy that they were they were there was a they mentioned another one that came out after to the ruxpin around about the same time they were in development for child's play the first one and um and they were t- like a sort of curly ginger haired doll called again it wasn't called buddy or good guy or something like that, but it has a similar name so they're ripping them apart looking at the servos looking at the, the movement paddles in the face and they can and they go okay so like they move like this much that's fine but what if we crank oh that is creepy but so they were able to take these movements uh and designs that had basically been born out of real toy industry and stuff yeah. that was cutting edge at the time because uh, teddy ruxpin had like an audio cassette or something inside him so he'd just like gibber away at you and but but he had he'd listen ish you know he wouldn't listen he wouldn't hear you he'd listen <laughs> like in a like a proto furby and when you finished speaking he'd just say some old shit like some old some old teddy ruxpin bollocks but there was you know again quite cutting edge tech and to be mass produced as well yeah for the child market they they got the prices down and so yeah so the effects guys were sort of ripping them apart for the mechanical stuff and this was really yeah it was really advanced at the time um, animatronics i mean some of the robotics that go into like high-end special effects now are absolutely insane the stan winston school of character arts tweeted a photograph or, or put a photograph up on instagram a little while ago of a rat from something and it had like maybe 30 different motors running it wow which is oh it's ridiculous like it, one can only presume it had individually articulated toes but it's it's beautiful but like this was right there at the bleeding edge of it um, yeah absolutely it's really really fun like I, I i love watching this stuff like it's a great film and i really enjoy it but there's i get this whole other layer of enjoyment watching it going child in a suit you're right <laughs> fake arm on a stick 
Oh, drop floor. Oh, yeah. Chucky's on someone's head. He only exists from the waist up. Like, picking the shots apart. But watching how it all gets put together and watching the... Because I think that's one of the things... Because this was a... You know, it didn't cost nothing, but it was a comparatively low-budget film for the time. Yeah. Uh, And I think that's one of the things that we don't have in low-budget cinema now is you'll get sequences in this where you'll see six or seven different shots in a row and that's six or seven completely unique builds completely right. unique yeah. puppets yeah, that yeah. do different things yeah and that just doesn't happen now you like you don't get that luxury i i try to push really hard whenever i can to do not not every gag needs this not every special effect needs it but i try really hard to do an effect two different ways so that they can be cut together because like a magic trick has a tell like a mm-hmm. you know there are there are things that an audience might spot that might give away the secret but if you've done it two ways and they have different tells then you can cut around those things you can cut between them without right. using digital effects without having to hide things and there's like there's aside from a little bit of superimposition for like the cloud tanks for the the, the voodoo sky there's not really much in the way of, of visual effects in this movie oh and, and a bit of lightning um it it really is all practical they're not digitally removing puppeteers they're not you know they're just having to build stages on gantry like you know stages raised so that you can have a, a phalanx of young pharmacy enthusiasts <laughs> under the stage running these things there's a there's a fantastic interview with steve johnson somewhere who was a junior puppeteer i think on either the second or the third one mm-hmm. um there was a brief period of time when uh, puppeteers first started being covered by the actors union in the state so they're all being treated like actors um and they are just absolutely fucking awful to work with these people <laughs> because they were they they were all like incredibly up themselves this is i'm i'm taking this from steve's interview yeah <laughs> steve's yeah bit of writing they 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 absolutely love themselves there were drugs on set they were making noise during takes just like absolutely uncontrollable um because it took like nine of them to run chucky i think i might have told this story before but it is definitely relevant you just reminded me of it when i was uh, doing film journalism when i used to do like the video junkets and stuff i was lucky enough to interview uh kermit and miss piggy and uh, I walked into the junket room. It was Kermit first. And uh, the the puppeteer was so sweet, so nice the moment I came in. And, um, you know, Kermit complimented my shirt. And, it, like, it really kind of relaxed me because I was nervous. <laughs> like, I've grown up with Kermit. And I'm like, is this going to break the magic? And how the hell am I going to, like, do this seriously where I'm looking in a puppet's eyes and pretending that I'm interviewing them? But what was weird was, you know, I sat down in the chair and then it literally was like I was talking to Kermit. It was insane. And then for Miss Piggy, I went into the room and uh, the puppeteer completely ignored me and was kind of barking orders at an assistant like, you know, I told you I wanted a sandwich half an hour ago or something like that. And uh, (laughs) then I, you know, I sat down and once again, even though I hadn't been eased into the experience, it was like I was, um, you know, talking to Miss Piggy as I was interviewing her. And it really felt like a child's play situation or like in in reverse kind of where the souls of the puppeteers 
weren't just going into the characters. It was like the characters were going into the puppeteers as well because I can imagine Miss Piggy demanding a sandwich and I can imagine Kermit wanting to welcome someone in and set them at ease and all the rest of it. So, yeah, it was a really kind of fascinating insight into that that art form, you know? Yeah, absolutely. When a, when a puppeteer is good, it's why, like, you know, ventriloquism and stuff works. Right. <laughs> when, when puppeteering is good, you do kind of forget about the person on the other end of the stick. It's so bizarre because he was literally in both instances um, lying on the floor, like right in front of me with, you know, the puppet kind of elevated up. Like there was no artifice that he wasn't hidden behind a screen or anything like that. Um, And yet the magic worked, you know. Um, And yeah, speaking of magic, like one of the facts that really kind of interested me was that Brad Dourif recorded his lines ahead of time and they were played on set to, to Alex Vinson. And I think that's part of why that kid's performance was so fantastic was because he was reacting to genuinely terrifying line reads. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and it, it connects to the magic of, of the whole thing as well, because Kevin Yeager and Brad Dourif never met in person until they were at the same horror convention together in 2018. And when you think of a collaboration like this where... It's so perfectly matched at both sides. I think general audiences would assume that these people are working very closely together to craft this character. But that's one of the most magical things about practical effects. Like, you can collaborate with people, Dan, who you have never met or will will never meet. And it it, it works in sync beautifully, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Film is always a collage of everyone's efforts. Yes, Um, yes, yes. The thing is, I think that it's not a given that this stuff works. Because, like, you, you know when you watch a movie and you can tell that a scene had to be done as a pickup and the actors weren't in the same place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it just and it just doesn't vibe. Yeah. Like absolutely, the fact yeah. that that's when that's such a problem and yet you can have like a child talking to a doll. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's easier for a kid. But like, yeah, and this stuff works. Yeah. I gotta say though, there was a moment when um like I really vividly remember realizing that uh James L. Jones was doing the voiceover to Darth Vader and it was really strange. It was just like a moment, I think it was a teenager, where suddenly, like with the click of a finger, the magic went away. And all I could see was like Dave Prowse like pointing his finger <laughs> while someone else Amazing. did the voiceover. It was really weird. It was like one of those optical illusions where suddenly you see something and then you can't see it the other way again that's what happened to me with Darth Vader so and and that is an amazing performance by James Earl Jones but um I think I prefer the Chucky puppet to Dave Prowse's pointing uh by this point (laughs) anyway on that absolute bombshell should we move on to uh recommendations based on the film yeah do you want to go first yeah it's been mentioned already Yeah, it's body parts. It's another serial killer possession movie, except here it's the titular body parts, like an arm here, a leg there, uh, possessing people who have had radical uh, futuristic limb transplant surgery. Uh, Jeff Fay, he's the lead, and he is absolutely magnificent. It's a, a magnetic, layered, disturbing performance. And as we said, Brad Dourif pops up in a very impactful supporting role. Um, this is one that Shay and I have discussed on VHS Quest, so I, you know I won't go too much into it. But yeah, it's a brilliant and beautiful and brutal movie. Body parts. 
I wholeheartedly recommend it based on child's play. And I think we have discussed it in the past, maybe. Like, we've certainly talked about Eric Red, but yeah, uh, sure fantastic movie. Up, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how about you, Dan? What's your first recommendation based on child's play? Uh, my first recommendation based on child's play is a non-horror film called mm. Small Soldiers. From Amazing. 1998. <laughs> oh, so yes. So it's a decade later. Huh. And it it's um and it's a different effects designer um this one's stan winston i think but this was another one that kind of like changed a lot of stuff like Mm -hmm. was was at the trailblaze of these uh mechanical puppets being operated by by other people and uh yeah and it's a delight it's joe dante so i feel like you kind of know what you're getting into for those of you out there who haven't seen it like the film as it's as a whole isn't my favorite dante film but the uh but the characterization they put into the puppets and the shin number of the different puppets is an absolute delight and so if you yeah if you want more uh, impressive practical effects action albeit helped with a bit of digital rod removal in this one you can't go wrong it's an absolute treat yeah and if you so have good. seen it i bet you haven't seen it recently <laughs> yeah it, yeah absolutely or even in this context of putting it next to child's play yeah that is a great pairing um yeah for me it, it's oh, imagine a crossover that... imagine if they did a reboot oh of small soldiers but they had to go up against chucky do you know what this everything that you've said in this recommendation ties to one of my recommendations in child's play 2 <laughs> so i'm not going to spoil that one but um we'll come back to it when i when i make the, my recommendations there but let's stick to child's play and it's a film that uh, i'm sure several precious arrowheads listening to this uh, probably have seen recently because it is stuart gordon's dolls it's on Arrow's uh, Empire yeah. Video Store box set. And yeah, Stuart Gordon's underrated killer doll movie has beautiful special effects with really, really glorious stop motion moments. Like the stop motion in this yeah, film is nice. so special. And I love the, the punk supporting characters. And Child's Play is kind of a punk franchise for me. Mancini has such a punk sensibility. And like you say, in this movie, in Child's Play specifically, it's so connected to urban decay and and that's very punk for me as well. So yeah, that little connection makes sense as well. Uh, It is another one uh, we've done on VHS Quest. So if you want to hear Shay and I discuss it in more depth, please do head over to Patreon forward slash VHS Quest. But yeah, Dolls, fantastic movie on a fantastic box set. And I would actually like to do Dolls on the podcast at some point or maybe another one from that box set um dan is there anything in that in the set that jumps out for you yeah i mean i quite like to do robot jocks oh there you go yeah let's do robot jocks uh, yeah that will come soon that uh, whole set's lovely yeah good yeah recommendation for the whole thing so much um all right well let's move on to recommendations based on our human lives uh for the past 14 days i've got a second I've got a second based on recommendation, if you want Oh, it. shit. Yes, I do. Of course I do. Yeah. That's, f- <laughs> That's all good. Um, I mean, it's we can, we can gloss past it, because I think it's probably what I've recommended for something else before. It's impossible for me to watch an American movie with uh, voodoo being the baddie in it without wanting to recommend The Serpent and the Rainbow. Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, uh, yeah, and the, and the skeleton key as, as well, play. actually. Oh, Sorry, yeah, say that again, Dan. Great. I talked over you. Go, go one more time. Sorry. That's right. That's fine. Leave it in. <laughs> um, yeah, skeleton key is great. Yeah, Serpent of the Rainbow, uh, Wes Craven's nineteen eighty eight uh, Bill Pullman vehicle, in which Bill Pullman plays Dennis Allen, uh, a sort of a renamed 
character based on real life anthropologist uh, Wade Davis. Mm-hmm. And Serpent in the Rainbow is loosely based on the diaries of Wade Davis, a real person. He's got a good TED talk in the uh, in the movie version. Uh, Dennis Allen is sent over to Haiti to investigate claims of a drug that can induce zombification. But what it ostensibly does is shut down the nervous system to such a level that it appears that you're dead. Uh, and then you don't die, you come back. But if you've been buried because people thought you were dead, you've got brain damage. And that's where zombies come from in the logic of this film. Yeah. In real life, Wade Davis did work for a big pharmacology company and was indeed going over to Haiti to investigate the toxins that they were using in zombification rituals in the interest of trying to find uh, a new general anaesthetic which is what was happening. In the movie, he runs up against the Tonton Makut, the uh, secret police of Haiti, who do not like him and really nail him down on some issues, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Excellent recommendation. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. We now will move on to recommendations based on the past couple of weeks. And I think the reason I was uh, rushing to get to it was that I wanted Dan to go first because I only have one recommendation this week and it's not a movie. So Dan, I'm going to ask you to go again and uh, tell us what films you've been watching recently. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm going to start with the TV show. You'll be happy hey! I know you love that. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I don't know if we've talked on the podcast yet since I've seen uh, Godzilla minus one. No, we must have done because I mentioned it. We did, it. yeah. We talked last um, time, yeah, yeah. Last time. Well, since since I mentioned it last time, uh, I have sat down and watched all of uh, Monarch Legacy of Monsters. Um, Interesting. Which I went into a little dubious, and and I really enjoyed it. Like by the end, it's it's you know it's all the American bombast and none of the the subtlety yeah. and the pensiveness of uh, of the Japanese film, the recent film. But but I yeah I really enjoyed it overall. Some some pretty like once every episode or two, I got very excited and referenced a monster by name. Like I'm watching it with Jen, who was enjoying it and and likes likes all that stuff, but is not maybe quite as much of a um a, a fan of the old uh the, the franchise godzilla films as we are right and um and so when i'm like episode one and i'm like oh it's spiger <laughs> oh it's a byra <laughs> <laughs> it's nice nice to see them all uh and the byra meets a similar end to to the end he meets in uh terror of the deep uh just with less special yellow in the water um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's worth it's worth going back to. Um, I quite enjoyed the the split timeline structure that they're doing. Yeah, um, and it's a it's a it's used as a good device. And to be honest, the casting of the Russell of the Russell dynasty, yes, as the same character, af- allows for what is undeniably the greatest fade from a young version of a character to an old version of a character, right. like reminiscing about what the young character was doing because yeah. they like. They get the angle right, and it's it's the same face. Right, <laughs> yeah, face. That, that is cool, yeah. I, I tried it, I watched the first episode. I don't even know if I finished the first episode. I think I watched it before Minus One, and maybe that was part of the issue, I don't know. But I think also I was hoping for something a bit more like Ultra Q, and um, it wasn't quite that for me. It had some of the stuff that I find annoying in, in modern American TV. So uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it, but um, maybe I'll. Uh, yeah, maybe I'll I like dip Anders Holm and like the cast are good. And yeah, like I, yeah. Was, I was pleased. Yeah, excellent. All right. Well, my non movie recommendation this week is a book, and it may 
cause an interesting talking point? I don't know, because we've talked about S. Craig Zoller's movies and books on the podcast in the past, and he's a bit of an inscrutable character. But I did really love his Western novels, especially Congregation of Jackals. And as I'm trying to read more this year, I checked out his first graphic novel, uh, Forbidden Surgeries of the Hideous Dr. Divinus, last week. And I absolutely loved it. Zala writes and draws the book, uh, and he's got a really great sense of composition and rhythm, as well as character design and, and what comics can achieve that movies can't in terms of the relationship with the observer and like the the pace of, of how you, you go through a, a narrative has really, really great moments and, and those moments build to a, a really, really fantastic ending. I'm going to read his follow-up book before the next episode and report back. But Forbidden Surgeries of the Hideous Doctor Divinus, it's on Floating World Comics and I really do recommend it. It's uh, dark, fucked up, but not nasty in the ways that some of his films are nasty um, for me. So, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, have you seen any of his comic work, Dan? No, no, I've, I've, um, I've not really delved into the the zala canon of late yeah it's a weird um, world but yeah he does he, seem to be quite quite broad in his uh in his disciplines yeah exactly and and weirdly it's not a jack of all trades master of none situation he seems to be very solid in everything uh he, he puts his uh, mind to like i don't necessarily agree with all of the decisions in the movies um, but the books are very different and, and really fantastic. And the comics are even more different. So, yeah, really, really fascinating guy. And he, he isn't like one of these who's like a director and is like, oh, I fancy doing a comic. Like I read an interview with him after reading this book um, on the Comics Journal. It's a really in-depth um, interview. I think Benjamin Mara is the one that's doing it. And uh, he, his, his comic knowledge is really, really on point. And apparently he spent his first like big paycheck from Warner Brothers on a load of original comic pages, like one from Watchmen and, and some slightly more obscure ones. So, yeah, yeah, good stuff. Definitely recommend it to people who listen to this podcast. And what's next from you, Dan? Do you have a movie? I do, yeah. So I, I um, it's the one Saltskin film that isn't in the Radiance set. So for oh. UK buyers, it, it's not in the uh, the Peter Saltskin set, the beautiful Peter Saltskin set that uh, that um, Radiance put out. Uh, but it's uh, it's Golem by Peter Saltskin. Oh, um, yeah. It was a it was a first watch for me. I really like his stuff. It's from 1980. It's another of these like slightly impenetrable. Um, doesn't really like to make itself clear to its audience. Sci-fi. It like. A lot of these things are shot in... I think I talked about Third Part of the Night by Zalowski a little while ago. Um, these films are shot in real, like, post-war-torn spaces. And it makes for these, like, huge spaces that are desolate and harrowing and just innately kind of upsetting. Talked about the urban nature of Child's Play. This is, like, the destru destroyed urban space and it's got really beautiful like slightly surreal touches in it but it is at heart a uh, a sort of a reapproaching of the traditional like the der golem the the sort of very early 
is it pre-1920 german horror film Mm-hmm. expressionist horror film and you know and and jewish myth before that but it's yeah it's it's absolutely lovely lots of wide angle lenses and sad dry looking eastern european men wandering the streets in tatty clothes wondering whether or not they can entirely trust the world as it is as it is presented to them yeah, fantastic great. oh fantastic I'll, I'll hunt that down as well i haven't seen that one there's a there's a box set in the states from vinegar syndrome that has the three that are in the radiance one and then also has uh, the golem which i believe was not available the rights for that weren't available in the uk which is the only reason that's not in the radiance set oh cool excellent i will uh i'll definitely get that fantastic and uh yeah de golem was 1914 so um yeah 1914 there you go yeah 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 pretty amazing one of the very very first horror movies yeah exactly yeah yeah all right well uh that's it for the episode outside of telling you what we're doing next time which we've already done child's play 2 and uh giving you our social media information dan how can people hunt you across uh the the ravaged wilderness that is the internet uh, I'm at 13fingerfx uh, on anything that matters. Yeah, there you go. I'm at Sam Ashes 23 me. the number two, the number three on Instagram. And I am just, you can search my name on Goodreads if you want to see what books I'm reading this year. A couple of you have done that already. Thank you so much. And uh, I'm also on Letterboxd, Sam Ashurst. Just my name, all one word, and uh, who knows, I may go back to films at some point this year, but for now it's all books. And these lovely episodes, uh, yeah, I think that's it, Dan. Any final words on Child's Play? No, it's great. It's still creepy. I love it. Yeah. Watch it. Yeah. Go watch it again. Uh, You know what, actually, yeah, let's just very, very quickly touch on the fact that it looks absolutely gorgeous, and I don't know what's going on with those menus. I hate them. (laughs) Oh, and there's uh, there's loads of Easter eggs on the disc. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, wait, what little, did you find? Easter eggs. Mini what eggs. did you find? <laughs> Mostly weird audio cues from Brad. Hey. Excellent. Well, that's all you want, really, isn't it? Um, I didn't find any, so I can't contribute to this. But what I can say is our, our very own audio cue. And that is, thank you so much for listening. And we promise to be more professional next time. Next Bye-bye. time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.